Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 190. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Pallavi Kutamasu. And for this episode, I was inspired by my many walks to work. For six months, I would commute over a footbridge every day, and I would notice that the floor beneath me was always changing. I would see green, blue, and red tags scattered all over the surface of this footbridge. And in between those graffiti tags, I would also see expletives and poems. One week it would look like this, and the next week it would be covered by this slick layer of gray paint. I can conservatively remember this process happening at least five times, where the city would paint the footbridge gray, and the night after, graffiti artists would aggressively tag the thing again. After I moved to go to school, it had been months since I'd walked this footbridge again, until a couple days ago, where I saw that the entire thing had completely transformed. Instead of graffiti tags or gray paint, there was a long sky blue mural with pink accents and gray faces. And at the end of it, there was a painting of a nest, I believe, of birds. At first I thought that this war between the city and the graffiti artists had a beautiful culmination and resolution, because the mural is quite beautiful. But then I found myself kind of missing that exchange of words and gray paint, because to me, that signified a moving conversation. And as with any episode that focuses on a visual medium or phenomena, we will include links and images where we can to help give you, the listener, a clear idea of what we're talking about. And in Alston, which is a borough of Boston, for those who don't know, I'll admit that I hadn't known about this until you had brought it up to me, but I'm fascinated by a number of details in this story, first of which being that tagging, painting, and art in general were taking place on a footbridge, on the ground. Because in so many cultures around the world, we associate our feet, the ground, and any associated phenomena with dirt and debris, things we don't like, things we don't want to think about. When you envision traditional art or a museum, a great deal of that art is hung or placed on the wall, oriented vertically so we can better see it in the light. But when I think about murals or tagging that occurs on the ground, even if it is a raised footbridge, there's an intriguing reversal there. Something else you said which really resonated with me is this idea of a conversation that takes place. And depending on how you look at it, a tag doesn't necessarily represent a conversation. If you'll permit me the following perhaps bizarre example, I'm reminded of a character from Guardians of the Galaxy, specifically Groot whose only statement is, I am Groot. It's a very individualistic sentence, which is minimal and arguably doesn't say anything at all. And yet there is emotion to that character in the same way that tagging, I think, can actually contain very complex and intriguing messages. For example, where you choose to tag says a lot, not only about what you think might be visible and who you're therefore speaking to, but certain buildings or spaces that you want to reclaim with your graffiti. And I find it really interesting to see how graffiti artists perform and bring to life their specific tags and images because in my opinion, they make a space feel lived in. And while I can understand how a governing body or other entity would prefer certain clean, untouched spaces, I would defer to a core belief of mine that life, however pristine we might want it to be, is messy, is nuanced, and is complicated. There are very rarely single or solid colors in our world. Virtually everything has a natural texture and is intermingled with other textures and colors, in the same way that a lot of graffiti can color a space with numerous names and images. 
I once spoke with a street artist who described tagging not just as claiming a space, but making it accessible for others to claim. He described it as this process of, here are my footsteps, and here can be yours too. And footsteps, especially as we think about this new mural as existing on a footbridge, are a really good metaphor for what a conversation can be and how a space can be lived in. When we think of a museum having art on its walls, we also think about how we're not supposed to touch the work. And yet, when art exists on the ground, our bodies have no choice but to touch it. We're forced to be in conversation with it. When I was walking this footbridge as it was littered with tags and poems and expletives, I was engaging with what I was seeing. I would sometimes walk by a pedestrian who was clearly trying to get away from the graffiti, and then I would find someone sitting on the footbridge, trying to find the perfect angle to photograph a poem that two days later would probably be painted over. The street artist that I spoke with brought up a certain code of conduct for graffiti artists. He didn't say everyone followed them, but they were generally respected rules that once a space was claimed by a certain art or a certain tag, you could not put your own tag on it. This entire bridge is now covered with this blue mural from left to right, from north to south. If we expect graffiti artists to follow this code of conduct, there's no space for them to tag anymore. I can imagine this footbridge looking as it is for a long time, no longer engaging a conversation. And though it's beautiful, I wonder if it was worth removing that conversation between the city and certain artists it didn't approve of. I love that phrase, no space to tag anymore, and I'll come back to it. But first, this idea of a city approving of artists calls certain concepts into question for me. How are we defining the city? Do we define the city by its leaders, by its larger populace, by voters, perhaps even by specific groups who navigate through certain, sometimes exclusive spaces? If I have residency in New York City, but I don't know certain boroughs or I've never been to certain neighborhoods, do I have the right to propose or suggest changes, aesthetic or otherwise, in these spaces where I don't typically go? I personally feel that sovereignty is really important and should be restored where it's been lost and respected where it persists. And so this idea you finish on, that the city didn't approve of certain artists, both troubles and intrigues me, because a very select group of people, I suspect, didn't approve of artists, but people who walked this footbridge or navigated it otherwise might not have found fault with it, as those did who ultimately painted over the graffiti. And coming back to this idea of no space to tag anymore, to me there's a heartbreaking sentiment within that, that identity is lost. For in tagging, just as with any creative pursuit or act of declaration, identity is a fundamental principle and element at play. And I'm not saying that you lose your identity if you cannot say who you are, but I'll bet for a lot of graffiti artists, the act of tagging is both reaffirming and exploratory, as well as other adjectives I'm sure I can't think of because I do not belong to that community. But it does sadden me to think that space has been lost, especially when I think of form and function, that this footbridge might otherwise have been a boring footbridge, a space that was not previously used except to help transport people. So in my mind, why not try and make something artistic out of it, even if you, the viewer, the pedestrian, don't personally understand the artistic statement or intentions at play beneath your feet? Again, I'm reminded of the association I have with art and walls. Walls typically represent clear barriers, and in the case of property, they reiterate ownership. 
the paint and graffiti going back and forth and trading this space time and again is not all that different from a territory dispute. But what I find really intriguing is that walls can delineate barriers and obstacles, but typically flat spaces represent the chance for navigation and the opportunity to travel, to move about that space. And so the fact that tagging in the first place was contentious, where it didn't actually address a wall or a barrier, to me, is really thought-provoking. At this point in the conversation, it's important to note that neither one of us is a street artist, and neither one of us has ever participated in graffiti. And after reading the bio of the artist that led this mural project, it doesn't seem like she identifies as a graffiti artist either. She says, quote, I am an architect and artist based out of Boston. I specialize in transforming abandoned lots and spaces into valuable places through art. This mural was a community project that involved artists from both sides of the bridge, and its mission was to perform a connection between these communities. It's a beautiful sentiment, and it plays out well, especially considering in the press release it's quoted to be the largest community mural in Boston. But in that same press release, I'm troubled by a few phrases. First, they say that the space has a, quote, new urban texture. And secondly, that it has a color palette that, quote, masterfully softens and generates as a new energy. We can start with the word softens and think about how it starkly juxtaposes the harshness of the expletives, of the blunt poetry, and of the bright red and blue tags that used to exist on that floor. Those expletives have been softened and neutralized. That poetry has been whitewashed, or more literally, graywashed and now bluewashed. And this new urban texture is not one that exists in protest of the city, but it's commissioned by the city. You said those expletives have been softened, and that deeply resonated with me as someone who thinks conversation is really valuable, that I think a lot of us try to soften the words of our conversational partners rather than learning to withstand their force or their piercing nature. If someone has something sharp to say, it may not be comfortable, but it often comes from a place of sincere emotion. And additionally, in my optimistic view, a desire to be understood in that emotion, to share with someone you hope will hear where you're coming from, or at a bare minimum, ask what it's like to be there. And this idea of softening expletives is, in a sense, censorship, which has been discussed in forums far more articulate and thorough than this one. But I would encourage listeners, as I'm hoping to encourage myself, that if you hear terms, especially expletives, you're not a fan of, to try and understand first what the speaker is trying to say before correcting them or asking them to use a different word. Certainly, words have power, and there are all sorts of words we as a society typically agree not to use. But I really love, Pallavi, that you used that phrasing. But before we conclude this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this conversation? After I saw the evolution of this footbridge and where it ended up, I immediately went to the internet and I tried to find stories written about this mural. Except for a few short articles, I found this issue severely underreported, especially by reputable news sources like the Boston Globe or WBUR. Why do you think this issue hasn't been discussed? Is it not important enough? And is the reason that this issue was important to me just because I experienced it personally? Those are important questions to ask, and we should expect great things of journalistic sources in our communities, especially as more of us share an online community where many resources exist for all to consume. I'd like listeners to think about the difference between painting over graffiti and putting up a mural. 
because both are an act of coverage, if you will, but one has a very clear artistic statement and the other seems to simply erase the former. It's also worth noting, and perhaps researching further if you're interested, that in 1984 in Philadelphia, mural arts was established as a part of the Philadelphia Anti-Graffiti Network. And in their description online, they say, quote, Artist Jane Golden reaches out to graffiti writers in order to redirect their energies into constructive public art projects. And I find that verbiage to be very telling. But I will actually leave it at that because I think art, like graffiti, is up for interpretation. And I'd be curious to know what you, the listener, make of that phrasing. And I also think it's worth noting, as Pallavi and I are relatively young people who don't yet own any real estate, nor pay substantial taxes to governments which would attend to infrastructure, etc., as it's relevant in this piece, that I think there is a general tendency of young people, myself included, to champion ideals that appear less and less realistic as they take on the realities of adulthood and larger, more nuanced societal experiences. Maybe you and I are making fair critiques, Pallavi, but I wonder if older listeners or people with more experience who've lived in different cities around the world have a critical rebuttal to what we've said. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and sharing the show with others, as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you can enjoy perks like exclusive bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off. And this is Pallavi Kutamasu. Think twice, or more.